All right, the rest of you, if you would uh, grab your message notes, grab your Bible, uh, you're going to want to open your Bible up to Romans chapter 11. I was thinking by now your Bible should just be kind of flopping open to the book of Romans. We have been in this study for a little bit, and uh, we still have a little ways to go. We are going to finish it this year for sure. And uh, so Romans chapter 11, you know, we sang some great words today about the faithfulness of God, about God's promises enduring, about uh, putting our hope in God to, to do it again and do what he's promised to do. And so with those words kind of rattling around in our minds today, uh, I want to open up the Bible and I want to see um, actually what we're going to see from Romans 11 is, is that those things are true and those things are confirmed in God's word. And so that's what we are going to do. Um, but you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed that there's some people that they seem to know the Bible really well, but they kind of have a way of um, not applying it accurately. So for instance, a few years ago, there was a guy in our church who had a heart attack and um, very serious. They rushed him to the hospital. They were able to save his life. Um, later on, I went and visited him at the hospital and he was complaining to me about all of the changes that he was going to have to make in, in life. They told him he's going to have to change his diet and his exercise and all this stuff. And he was dreading it. And I said, well, you need to do what I've done and adopt as your life verse, Proverbs 4.23. And like a caring pastor, I thought that that would be helpful advice. He said, well, what is that? I said, above all else, guard your heart. So I thought that that was very clever. He thought it was time that I should go at that point because that really was not the accurate application of that verse. But, uh, but did you hear the one about the pastor who moved to this small town and he was going to be the pastor of this little church? And so he decided that he was going to go visit all of the people at their house. And so he's out visiting one day and he comes to uh, one house and he knocks on the door and nobody answers. And so he knocks again a little bit louder, still nobody answers. And he could tell that they're home. I mean, the car is in the driveway, the lights are on, the music's on. He knows that they are home. So he knocks a little bit louder, still nothing. And so now this pastor's a little huffy about it. And so he takes his business card out of his pocket and he writes on this business card, Revelation 320. And he sticks it in the door and he walks off. Well, the next Sunday, uh, one of the ushers from the church comes up to the pastor with this business card. He says, hey, do you know what's going on with this? Um, because now this business card had two Bible verses written on it. It had Revelation 3.20, but it also had Genesis 3.10. So the usher says to the pastor, what, what's that all about? He said, well, I, I knew they were there. And so I left them this verse, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he said, well, that makes sense. I could see that. But what's Genesis 3.10? Pastor had to look it up. But when he opened up his Bible, this is what he found. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid for I was naked. So I hid. <laughs> so I get it that sometimes people don't always apply the Bible accurately. Um, and it's not always that funny when it happens, but uh, the Apostle Paul at some level is dealing with that kind of concept with his readers today as they're struggling to understand what does the scripture really mean. So from the beginning of the book, we have said this time and time again that Paul is making a case, that Paul is building an argument for the good news of Jesus. And he's talking about how the gospel can literally not only transform a life, but the gospel can transform the world. We've called 
called this letter, or called this series, a letter that changes the world because this good news can, can transform the world. And he's been talking a lot about the promises of God. And so in chapter three, he talked about this promise that through faith, we can be made right with God. And then you get to chapter eight and he makes a promise like there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then you get to chapter 10 and he, he says, God's made this promise that if you believe with your, uh, confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that you will be saved. And so there's all these promises that he's making, but some of the people in Paul's audience were starting to kind of scratch their heads a little bit and wonder because they were looking around at their church and they asked a question along these lines. Well, if God keeps his promises, then what about the Jews? What about the people of Israel? Because God made a lot of promises to the people of Israel. And now here we are at this church in Rome of all places. Rome, right? That was about the least Jewish place that you could get. And they're at this church in Rome and the church is starting to become more and more Gentile. And so a lot of the people from Israel, as they're rejecting Jesus, people are starting to ask, well, it feels like God has made a mistake. It feels like God is not keeping his word to the Jews. Now, you need to know it is very true that God made significant promises to the Israelites, to his people. Starting all the way back in Genesis 12, God enters into this covenant relationship with Abraham. And I think we've got the scripture there. Uh, uh, God enters into this covenant relationship with Abraham. And he calls Abraham, and this is what he says to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people of the earth will be blessed through you. So there's a lot of blessing going on there, but the whole idea is you're going to be my special people and I'm going to bless you, but also through you is going to come a blessing to all of the nations of the world one day. And to show how significant this was and how permanent of a promise this was between God and Abraham, God says, Abraham, let's enter into a covenant relationship around this promise. Now, this sounds very strange to us in our modern world, but in the old days, in those days, when a person made a covenant, the way it worked is they would sacrifice an animal, and they would take that animal, and they would sacrifice it, and the animal would be cut in two, and they would take the two parts of the animal, and they'd separate them, and then the people would walk through the middle as a way of saying that if I break this covenant that I'm entering into with you, may my blood do what happened to these animals, right? So it's kind of a, a way of saying this is that significant. And if you know the story in in, uh, Genesis chapter 15, God actually causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. And so when it comes time for Abraham to walk through the, 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 the sacrifice, Abraham's asleep. And so God alone goes through and passes through to, to, to signify that we're going to be in this covenant but Abraham, I know that as a, as, a, as a person, as a human, I know that's going to be hard for you to live up to. And so it's not going to be this 50-50 covenant, but I am God. And it's going to be 100% covenant between me and you. And I will be responsible for that. So that's a big deal. And for years, the Israelites put their hope in that, rightfully so. And then years later, generations, thousands of years later, along comes Jesus. And Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. 
and he's a Jewish Messiah, and he goes primarily to the Jews, and yet not all of them accept him. Many of them actually reject Jesus. And what we see is that though Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, suddenly all of these Gentiles, all of these non-Jewish people are starting to follow him as well. And so the people are in this church, and they scratch their head, and they say, it seems like God isn't keeping his promises to the Jews And that's what Romans chapter 11 is all about. Now, I feel like we say this almost every week, but Romans chapter 11 is a difficult chapter. It's hard because it deals with a lot of stuff between God and Israel, a lot of stuff in in history. And if you are not Jewish, which the vast majority of us are not Jewish, it almost can feel like you're reading someone else's mail here. But the reality is, and I'll I'll be honest, I was not really looking forward on preaching Romans 11. I knew we had to, but truth of it is there's not a lot of messages out there on Romans 11 because a lot of people just kind of skip it because it can be kind of of hard. Um, But I found as I've studied it this week, man, I am so glad that we are spending this time because we see the things that God promised to Israel and how God was working that out makes such a difference in our life as well. And so this is important not only to the argument that Paul is making in the whole book of Romans, but here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at at the way Paul kind of outlines this in Romans 11 by looking at Israel's past, Israel's present, including even the day that we're in today, and then also at Israel's future. And when we see what God's message is to them through each one of those stages, and then we hold our life up to it, I think you're going to be encouraged. I think you're going to be challenged because we're going to see that God keeps his promises. Even when it feels like it doesn't look like things are going our way, even when it looks like that's not going to happen, God is keeping his promises. And if you're here today and you are in a place where you feel alone, where you feel like God has forgotten me, you feel like you're in a relationship or you're in a situation where nothing can ever change, I want you to be reminded and encouraged by God's word today. He keeps his promises. He has not forgotten you and he is with you. So uh, we are going to jump right into this, um, this idea. So the question is, does God still keep his promises? What about uh, Israel? Did he reject his people? And Paul answers with his classic, by no means, this is not uh, what happens. And then Paul launches into a number of different examples about why he has kept his promise to Israel Uh, starting with, first of all, his own life, and then he looks at the life of Elijah as well. So let's go ahead. We're going to jump into Romans 11, verses 1, read through verse 5, and then we will go from there. So uh, Romans 11, verse 1 says this, I ask then, has God rejected his own people? You see, there's the question that they're asking. Has God rejected his people, the nation of Israel? Of course not, says Paul. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah, the prophet, complained to God about the people of Israel and said, the Lord, and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? God said, no, I have 7,000 others who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same, uh, it is the same today, for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. 
So Paul starts this argument by saying, if you want proof that God has not forgotten or rejected Israel in the past, let me start by giving you two examples. The first one is my own life. And Paul says, look at me. He says, I'm, I'm as Jewish as they come, right? That's the, what Paul says time and time again. I'm as Jewish as they come, and Jesus appeared to me. And he's transforming my life and he's making a difference in my life. And it's not just me. I'm not the only Jewish follower of Jesus. There are many others. And the reality is, if you look at Jesus's life, all 12 of Jesus's disciples were Jewish. The first church started in Jerusalem. The vast majority of the ministry that Jesus spent, not 100% of it, uh, but the vast majority of it was with Jewish people. Now, Jesus's message opened up the floodgates for all people to come in. But most of his message was originally to Jewish people. And so Paul says, God's not forgotten you. You may feel like it because maybe they're starting to be more of this group than that group, but he's not forgotten you and look at my life. And then he gives another example from Old Testament history, history, from the book of 1 Kings. And he gives the example of Elijah. Now, if you know the story of Elijah, Elijah was one of God's great prophets. And he has this powerful encounter where God calls him to stand up uh, and kind of do battle, if you will, with the prophets of Baal. And though they far outnumber him, there's hundreds of them, and just Elijah all by himself, God delivers Elijah and defeats the prophets of Baal. And it's this great victory. Woo, God's amazing. But the very next thing that happens is Jezebel, the queen, turns on Elijah and starts to chase him to take his life. And so Elijah has this great spiritual victory. God is with him. And the very next thing is that he has to turn around and run for his life. And so he runs and he runs and he finally gets to a place where he just hides in this little cave. And he's hiding in this cave and he's, God, I've been faithful to you. And and now I'm alone. And I'm the only one who still loves you. And you've left me here alone and nobody likes me and everybody hates me. I think I'll eat some worms, which is a saying in our family, but I I don't think that was what he said. But the whole idea, that was the concept. He's like, God, I've done everything for you. I have been faithful and now I'm here alone. And have you ever felt that way? And God speaks to Elijah in that. And if you know the story, it's so beautiful because there's this earthquake that happens that God's not in the earthquake. And then there's this tornado that happens and God's not in the, the mighty wind. But in a small and gentle voice, God speaks to Elijah when he feels alone. Now we can look back and, and many people will say Elijah was suffering some pretty clear signs of, of depression. And God speaks into that depression. And he says, Elijah, I know those feelings are real. I know those feelings feel overwhelming, but I am with you. And by the way, you're not alone. He says, Elijah, lift up your head. He'd only been looking down. He says, lift up your head and see that there are 7,000 others that are are with you. There are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to worship an idol. And so you are not alone. And so Paul makes this case in Israel's past. People might say that God has forgotten and and forgotten Israel, but look at these examples. He has not forgotten them. And so the lesson from history is God has never abandoned them or left them alone. What about the lesson for us today? We can look at that and we can remember that he will never abandon me. He will be there for me even when I feel 
alone. And I was reflecting on this a little bit because as Christians living in a culture that we live in more and more, and we just need to be honest with this as followers of Christ in the world that we are living in today, there are times that we are going to have to stand alone. There are times when we will feel out of step and we will feel like, God, you have forgotten me. I was just thinking a little bit about that, and I was remembering a time in, in my life, really years ago, I was, was pretty young in my Christian faith, and um, it was after my freshman year of college, and away at my freshman year of college, I decided that I wanted to kind of get more serious a, about my faith, and I wanted to start to, to live this stuff out a little bit more, and so um, I, I had that experience away at college, and then I came home for the summer, and all of my friends at home were a part of kind of like the party crowd in, in my high school and my, my place where I lived. And I knew that that's, who I not, that's not where I needed to go running back to. I knew that that's kind of what I was trying to, to get away from. And so it meant that I had to leave behind or not spend a, as much time with this whole big group of friends. And I remember thinking back on that summer and just feeling so alone and so out of step and so neglected and forgotten. And here we are all these years later, and I can still feel what it felt like to, to be alone. But the reality is, I wasn't alone. And God was actually working in my life, even at that time, to prepare me and to grow me and to stretch me. And was it always easy? Absolutely not. But God was with me. And as Christians living in a world that is pushing back against the things of God, we, may need, we need to be ready to sometimes feel isolated and out of touch and even put down and even persecuted. When that happens, when you feel alone because of your faith, it will feel like God has forgotten you. He has not. He is with you in those times more than ever before. And like Elijah, he wants to speak into our life, often with a gentle whisper, and say, I'm with you, and say, lift up your head. Lift up your head and look around. You are not alone. And quite honestly, we need each other as a church for this very reason, so that we can stand together and we can be together even when we feel alone. Because in Israel's past, God never abandoned them. He says, I keep my promises. I've not forgotten them. And the same is true in our lives today. So that's the first thing he talks about is Israel's uh, past. But then he spends a long section on Israel's present day. So this starts kind of in the time of, of Paul and really goes all the way even through um, kind of Israel's uh, place today. And what we see is that in this present time that Israel has really hardened their heart to the gospel which is very sad, but Paul makes this case. Even while that is happening, God is working. Even while there are people that are hardening their heart, God is still at work. So let's look at verse seven. Verse seven, and we'll read through verse 10. He says, so this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God that they are looking for so earnestly. A few have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As scripture says, God has put them into a deep sleep, and to this day he has shut their eyes so they do not see, and closed their ears so that they do not hear. 
Likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs be bent forever. And so Paul uses these quotes from the Old Testament and from the Psalms to describe the spiritual condition of Israel in this present day. And just look at some of the words that he uses. Look at verse 8, some of the words he uses. He says that they were characterized by a hard heart and by deep sleep and by shut eyes and by closed ears. And if you know the story of Israel and you know the spiritual journey of any person, God for years had been speaking to, the, through, to Israel through the prophets and saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he teaches him their character. God says, this is, this is my character. I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger and abounding in love. So come and follow me. But here's the thing. While God teaches us that he's slow to anger, that doesn't mean that that, that anger never comes. That doesn't mean that there can never be a time where people reject, 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 and God eventually says, okay, you have made your choice, and and he allows those hearts to grow hard. And that's what he's describing here. It's not like they never had a chance, but they heard the message and they rejected it. And God, though he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, his anger does not extend forever. And so we see that Israel rejects and, and hardens themselves away. And, and what's so fascinating to me and just blew me away this week is look at some of the conditions and look at some of the causes of what led to them be having these hard hearts. Look at verses 9. It, it talks about that they had a bountiful table, right? And that bountiful table made them think that everything was well. And they had so many blessings, but those blessings caused them to stumble. And that's so weird for us because we think, oh man, everything's great for them. But they'd gotten to where this prosperity and this blessing and what what he calls this bountiful table became an idol to them. And so now it wasn't about God. It was about, can I get the blessings of God? And it wasn't even about this real relationship with God that he, he began with them through Abraham. And that's why, you guys, the prosperity gospel that we hear in our world today, that that God's going to bless you with this financial stuff, that prosperity gospel is so evil because it becomes an idol to us. And it's all about get, get, get. And God says, I'll provide for you, but I want a relationship with you. So it's so interesting that the bountiful table and the blessings actually become the thing that allows them to harden their hearts. And it becomes an idol. And what we see is because of those hard hearts, eventually that they're, they're cut off. And that relationship with God comes to an end. So that's how Paul describes this present day with Israel. And like I said, it's kind of hard to, to hear about. It. And it extends for the most part even to today. Israel remains largely hard and closed to the good news of Jesus. But Paul says, and this is awesome, Paul says, even with all that sadness and tragedy, God is still at work because God keeps his promises and God is faithful. This is the argument that he makes. He says, because right now, while Israel is kind of hardening their hearts, it's giving an opportunity for God's promise originally to Abraham to come true. Because part of the promise was, you will be a blessing to all the nations. And the greatest gift that Israel has ever given is their Messiah, Jesus who is the Messiah, not just for the Jewish people, but for all people. 
And so Paul says, you know, it feels like things are closed off there, but it's opening up whole new areas in different ways. And we see that, that, that now the Gentiles are starting to come to faith in Christ. And hallelujah, because that's, as I said, who most of us are. Now, that's exactly the kind of ministry that Paul had. So if you know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, his deal was he considered himself the Apostle to the Gentiles. And he would travel all around. He loved to go to new places. That's one of the reasons he was pushing out to Rome, hoping that he could even one day go beyond Rome. But here's the thing. Paul would always, if you know the story from the book of Acts, when Paul comes to a new town, where does he usually go? He goes to the synagogues first because he wants to make sure that the Jews hear that invitation and they hear that invitation. And almost always there are some that believe, but then eventually it usually ends up with him getting chased out of town and Paul turns and he goes to the Gentiles and he starts to share the message of the gospel and they start to to open up. It's very much like a story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives this, this parable about a man who wants to throw a party. And this man is going to have this great banquet. And so here's what he says. He says, he sends his servants. He says, go to my family, go to my friends, go to the people that I am closest to and invite them to come to this party. And so they go out and they invite them. And one by one, all of the friends and family begin to make excuses of why they can't come. And actually, if you study that passage in Luke 14, the excuses they make sound very much like a people who were putting their trust in a bountiful table or putting their trust in in God's blessings because they say, I'm too busy with my business is what they say. I've got to check on this business thing. Or I'm too busy with my own in my own family and my own friends. I, I can't come because I've got these relationships. And so thanks for the invite, but no thank you. And they reject going to the party. And so what happens is the man who throws the party says, okay. And he sends his servants out and he says, this time go to the highways and the byways, go to the farthest reaching towns and invite them all to come in because that's the good news. And we are going to have a party and I want everybody to come. And so what a surprising story it is that Jesus would tell that, but it describes Israel to this day, where for years God invited and invited, and finally he said, all right, throw throw open the gates. And the Gentiles came flooding in. And the promise to Abraham is being fulfilled, because the promise to Abraham is not only will you be blessed, but through you will come a blessing to all nations. So Paul's like, it doesn't feel like God's keeping his promises, but God's keeping his promises exactly just the way he said, just not in the way that you expect. So it's a surprising story that that we read there, but but, uh, Paul then goes on and describes it a a little bit more. And we're just kind of working our way through this passage. Next, Paul gives this beautiful description of what is happening with another kind of word picture or, or parable where he talks about a new group of people being grafted in to an olive tree. And so the idea is that some of those people that have hardened themselves, their branch is, is, is no longer good anymore. And so those branches are, are cut off. And in, in John 15, we see that those branches are actually cut off and thrown into the fire because they're not producing fruit. And that's hard to hear, but that's the example that Jesus, Jesus uses. And so some of those branches are cut off, but Paul says, don't be, a fear, don't be afraid because God's still at work. He keeps his promises. He's actually taking some other branches and he's drilling a little hole and he's putting it into the stalk of the tree and he's grafting those branches in. And he says that's what happens by keeping his promise. He's grafting in the Gentiles. Look at verse 17. This is such a great verse. 
He says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. And I'm just going to read verse 18. It's not on the screen. But it says, But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off because you are just a branch, not the root. And so did you catch that? If you are a Gentile, which we've been using that term a lot, that just means that you are not an ethnic Jew. If you are a Gentile, did you catch what that passage said about you? First of all, it said that you are a wild olive branch. And I think just looking at you, he nailed it. That sounds about right. And that's our ancestors right there. So he says, you are a wild olive tree. But don't worry, because God loves wild olive trees. And he actually takes those branches and he grafts them in. And I love how that example speaks to God's character. It speaks to God's plan as well. God's character is love for all people of all backgrounds and all places that they come from. And God's plan was to take on flesh in Jesus Christ and become a person so that they could hear and understand the gospel message and that people from all over could get connected to this beautiful tree that was originally started between God and Abraham and his people. So again, God is still at work even when they said it didn't feel like it. And so here are the lessons for today as we look at his relationship with with Israel in this present day. The first one is this. If you are in a place, and you're just going to have to be honest with yourself here, if you are in a place where your heart is growing hard, as your pastor, as your friend, can I just implore you to wake up, to wake up. Because we see here that when a heart becomes hard and when our eyes start to become closed and our ears start to be closed and we say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. I want to do my own thing. What happens is those hearts can become hard and eventually God who's slow to anger and abounding in love will let us make that choice to harden ourselves and go away. So if you sense that your heart is getting hard, can I just encourage you to wake up to do what it takes, to talk to someone, to, to talk to God, to, to, to open up your Bible, to do the things that will allow you to let your heart begin to become soft and, and, and not depend even so much on just the blessings and the, the bountiful table, but really turn your heart to God. So that's the, the first application is don't let your heart grow hard. The second application is this. God invites you to join in what he is doing all around the world by sharing the good news to all nations. And whether that is sharing the gospel around the block or whether that's sharing the gospel around the world, we see that God's heart is for all people and he invites us to join in, to not just be isolated, but to to be active in sharing uh, this good news. So think about this. Just just think about this, the way that, that the good news of Jesus has progressed throughout history. If you were a Jew around the time that Paul wrote this, and let's just say you're not even living in Rome, you're living in somewhere around Israel, you're living in Jerusalem or something like that. In your wildest dreams, could you have ever imagined that within about 200 years that the center, the the center of the people that are going to follow the Jewish Messiah wouldn't necessarily be Jerusalem anymore, but it would be Rome. 
and the Roman Empire. Could you even imagine that? The Roman Empire was pagan. The Roman Empire was, you know, corrupt. It was sexually immoral. It was all these things. Could you have even imagined that God's greatness and the good news of the gospel was so powerful that people throughout the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, would start to follow him as Lord? But that's exactly what happens. And and the gospel starts to spread all around the Roman Empire. And if you were, you know, a a good Roman Christian in the third, fourth, even fifth century, could you have even imagined that one day, that one day the people that would be start to follow Jesus wouldn't be necessarily Roman anymore, but they would be people from Germanic tribes or English speakers. Could you imagine that God would, would make his message known to a bunch of English speakers? These are the people that were barbarians. These were the people that were, you know, the most violent tribes all over the the world. And I'm talking about my ancestors here. Could you even imagine that God would one day take the gospel there? But that's what he did. And they began to follow Jesus. And Europe starts to follow after Christ. And could you even imagine if you were living in a time when after God had been working in, in Europe as the center of Christianity for so long, could you even imagine that one day that church would start to grow cold and that church would start to become so entwined in politics and, and start to become more secular and start to become, you know, denying these things. And, and so one day the center of Christianity would move from there and it, it would take root in this little upstart country that at the time of Paul, no one had even imagined of hearing of a place like the United States of America. And yet God would work in this continent that they didn't even know was there. And they would, this nation would become the greatest mission sending uh, nation of all time. And here we sit in our church in 2021 in the United States. And can you even imagine that God is keeping his promises around the world today? And you know where the church is growing? In China and in places in the Middle East where God speaks through a dream. And in Latin America where they've got nothing. And in Africa where they're hungry for the word of God. Do you see God is keeping his promises even when it doesn't feel like it? Even when we say, God, what's going on? You've forgotten us over here. God is still at work. You see, if you are not dead, God is not done with you. If you are still breathing, God is still working in your life. And let's just look at the very last thing. He says, that's Israel's present condition. Let's talk about Israel's future. This is the last one, and we'll just look at it real quick. And when we look at Israel's future, here's what we see. God still has big plans for Israel's future because God is never done. It may feel like God has kind of moved on, but God has big plans for Israel's future and God is never done. I I know this because this is what we read in verse 25. Verse 25 says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scripture says, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news and this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, for God's gift and God's call can never be withdrawn. 
And so Paul is making the point that God's promises can never be withdrawn or taken away. And this is especially true with Israel. And again, he gives us kind of a couple reasons to, to really look at, especially as you think about Israel's future and God's plan for them. One, he says that there will come a day when, you know, the number of Gentiles has been fulfilled. And it says, at that time, all of Israel will be saved. Now, commentators kind of talk about that as that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, every single Jewish person alive is going to become a Christian. But what it means is that there's going to be this massive movement among God's people to turn and to follow their Messiah, Jesus. And and that's part of the future, that that there's going to be this massive movement towards Christ. The second thing that Paul mentions is that Israel will play a big role in the events that we call the events of the end times. He says specifically that the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from uh, ungodliness. And so we see this idea that they are going to be active in the events of the end times. Now, I think a lot of times Bible teachers can go too far and speculate even on world events and current events in a way that, that is not addressed in the text. But what you can be sure is this thing that Paul has been hinting at really from the very beginning, which is that God is not done with Israel, that God keeps his promises. He did it in the past. He's doing it in the present, and he certainly will do it in the future. So we don't know exactly how that's going to happen, what that's going to look like. But in the book of Revelation, there's this kind of fascinating picture. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, it talks about 144,000 Jews becoming followers of the, the Messiah. So 144,000, not that it has to be that exact number, but the idea is it's, it's 12 tribes and 12,000 from each tribe. So 12 times 12 times 1,000, that's a way of saying complete and full when God's work is, is completed. And we see those 144,000 believers, what's the very first thing that they do? They start to share the gospel with all of the nations. And the point is, we don't understand all of the details, but we know that God is keeping his promises, right? It may seem like they have abandoned him in the past. It may seem like they are hard and closed off in the present age, but God keeps his promises and the best is yet to come. But here's my question. What if that was true for your life as well? What if you believe that the best was still to come? Because if you're not dead, God's not done with you. And as long as there's breath, God is at work. So don't give up and never give up. In fact, as you think about even some of the hard situations or the hard people or the hard circumstances you may be facing, and it feels like God is absent in those things, he's not done. He's still writing your story. And God is good. And God keeps his promises. Well, hey, I want to kind of wrap things up today by showing you just a quick little video clip. And hey, is anybody else excited about the Olympics starting here in a month or so? I'm starting to get pretty fired up about that. And so I want to show you a classic clip from actually the 1972 Olympics um, from a man by the name of David Waddle. And in 1972, this is the 800-meter race. And he obviously was a great track athlete to even make it this far to the finals of the Olympic Games. But at this point, he had two bad knees. It was the strongest group of runners that had ever been assembled. And most people counted him out, especially when the race started like this. Let's take a look. Keep your eye on the guy in the white hat in the back.
I don't know about you, but you ever feel like you're running at the back of the back of the pack? You ever feel like everybody else is pressing on and you're just trying to keep up? Can I remind you, God is with you where you are and God carries us through all the way to the finish line. And so never give up because we have a God who keeps his promises. God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, we take these, these examples from history and we see that they still apply in a powerful way even to our lives today. And so I thank you. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one of us. Some of us are struggling to even believe that because it feels like all kinds of things. That person is too far gone that we love. Our marriage is dead and over. I could never do the the dream that I have or the thing that you have for me. And it just feels neglected and forgotten. And yet, God, you are present with us and you call us out and you run with us to the very end. Thank you that your promises are true and we trust in them. In Jesus' name, amen.